Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watts Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of March 17th through the 19th, 2023. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone is doing well out there. For me, it's another week uh, with another disappointing box office result, uh, frankly speaking. I mean, it is kind of March Madness with a bunch of movies dropping in March, but last week's debut of Shazam, Fury of the Gods, was kind of disappointing. Hence, you know, I didn't really prioritize getting this episode out earlier this week. That should change this week, but for now, let's take a look back at the latest assassin from DC. Though, before we do that, quick shout out. Uh, we are act- This is actually episode 150, so we're just at about the three-year mark uh, for, this, uh, for this podcast, which, you know, it's kind of funny to think how this podcast started, you know, actually in late February, um, you know, of 2020, uh, right before the pandemic shut everything down. So, uh, you know, it's great that it's been three years we've been doing this. And, you know, even though I'm, I'm maybe not on t- as on time with episodes as I used to be, um, you know, still going to plan on keeping this up for the foreseeable future. For, so if you've been listening either just now or, you know, from the beginning, uh, thanks for tuning in. All right, let's hop into the numbers. Uh, in first place, DC has their superhero film, Sazam Fury of the Gods, opening to just over $30.1 million in 4,071 theaters for 7,397 per theater average. Overseas, it made another $34 million for about $64 million worldwide. Now, this is above the box office pros forecast of $24 million for the weekend, but still below studio expectations of $35 million. On top of that, given that the first film opened to $53 million on an $85 million budget, and this sequel has a $125 million production, budget, this is definitely not the result DC was hoping for. So, what went wrong here? Well, first off, the elephant in the room is, of course, the fact that Sazam is essentially a lame duck superhero. When James Gunn made his announcement for Chapter 1 of the new DCU, uh, Gods and Monsters, um, Sazam did not feature at all in that. Now, at this point, DC is kind of releasing this film and also The Flash. Well, Flash not so much, but Aquaman 2 as well, because, you know, it's kind of, they, they might as well, since, you know, they don't, the other films won't be ready before anytime soon. And they've already finished these films more or less, so might as well try to recoup some of those costs. Uh, apparently, Sazam was done by October before even, uh, before even um, uh, Black Adam came out. Uh, so, you know, this one's been in the can for a while. But, you know, despite a Wonder Woman feature in the post credit scene that was released prior to the film's release, it still wasn't enough to still fan enthusiasm for this, you know, lame duck superhero. The original Sazam was, no pun intended, a bit of lightning in the bottle, in a way, being able to take a relative B-tier superhero and make give them some charisma in their own quirky way of, you know, that fantasy of whatever you were a kid turned into a superhero. Um, that was able to, you know, lead it to be a success relative to, you know, the flopping of the more serious uh, tone of the DC films around it. However, it seems, you know, without having seen it myself yet, and I lean, this one leans a little bit more into that generic, you know, you got to save the world tropes, which eliminated, I think, what made the first one special, um, which, you know, when you're working with a lesser-known superhero, isn't always the best idea. That brings us to the next point, you know, that this is just not what audiences were looking for, if they were looking for a DC film at all. Uh, Suzam 2 got a B-plus on CinemaScore, which is tied with Black Adam, and compared to the original A, um, is much lower. Um, over on Rotten Tomatoes, it got a 51% critics, 87% audience, while the first one had 90% critics and 82 audience. So, while the audience score is about the same, maybe a little bit higher, you know, the lower critic score probably meant sent signals to those who were on the fence of going that, you know, this probably wasn't worth seeing in theaters, and they would just catch on HBO Max whenever gets there. Um, it didn't help, of course, that this looks like DC more or less gave up on marketing this film, um, as David, as director David Sandberg seems to have lamented on social media. Sorry they moved it out from under Avatar's shadow last December, but honestly, this was actually originally supposed to be this year. Um, it got moved back to Avatar when Aquaman wasn't going to be ready in time, and then they moved it back again. Um, and they only drafted into this very packed March. Now, on top of all of that, it also looks like there was some in-studio drama, specifically with uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who, of course, played 
is Black Adam, who in the comics is uh, Sazam's uh, arts nemesis. But uh, apparently, um, you know, Black, uh, The Rock didn't really want to play with Zach Levi. You know, he wanted to set up the reset of the DCU around or the DCEU around himself and Henry Cavill Superman. So, you know, he actually apparently refused to let uh, Zach Levi on um on set of Black Adam uh, in order to film a post credit scene with the Justice Society of America, uh, which would have tied the two films in nicely, but that wasn't the case. Now, as far as both Shazam 2 ends up, you know, between the B-plus cinema score and the strong competition in the next couple of weeks, this puts it, and, and as well as also being confirmed to be on digital, you know, pretty much on uh, April 18th, only about 28 days away. Um, at most, this will probably get 2.5x with 75 million, probably lower than that if we're being honest domestically. Probably won't get more than 200 million worldwide, more likely in like the 180, 170 range, which again, for this $125 million budget is considered a flop. Moving on, you know, we have second place, Scream 6, dropping 61%. You know, not bad for a horror film. Uh, in 3,676 theaters for 17.3 million or 4,715 per theater average, running total 75.8 million. This is pretty similar to the 2022 film's drop for its second weekend and puts it on track for a 2.7 multiplier, about 120 million domestic, uh, which is well above the profitability mark. Uh, globally, it's made another 40 million overseas or about 115 million worldwide to date. Uh, in third place, we have Creed 3 dropping 44% in its third weekend to 15.3 million in 3,477 theaters, per theater average 4,423. The message total is 127 million with an overseas take of 96 million, putting it at 224 million worldwide, already placing it uh, as the most successful Creed and Rocky film um, of the franchise. Uh, with a 75 million production budget, this one is already profitable. Um, this one is a knockout win all around with Michael B. Jordan and his team, with this one probably going to hit 170 million domestic. 300 million worldwide. Notably, though, uh, it has been confirmed that this will be having its home release uh, thanks to the whole arrangement between United Artists and their parent company, Amazon. Um, so this one will have a month of theatrical exclusivity before being available on PVOD on Amazon next week um, and, of course, coming for free on Amazon Prime sometime later. Uh, in fourth place, Adam Driver's Dinosaur Film 65 dropped 53% in its second week, 5.8 million in 3,405 theaters for a 17.18 per theater average, 22.4 million domestic total. Another 16 million overseas puts it at its lifetime at 38 million, but with a 91 million production budget, opening to 12 million, million was never going to be profitable. Hope that the check up front, you got your check up front, Adam. Um, uh, in fifth place, finally wrapping out the top five, Ant Man and the Wasp Quantumania hangs in there with a 41% drop in 2,650. 50 theaters for 15.92 per theater average and a 205 million domestic total in week five. Another 254 million worldwide puts it at 459 million worldwide. Um, that said, that like I said, the first week this came out, this one's probably going to struggle to hit 500 million, if that. Now, outside the top five, there's only a couple other things. There are a couple things worth mentioning. Uh, first, the Woody Harrelson sports film from Focus Features Champions dropped 40% in its second weekend. So, sadly, the good word of mouth did not save this one from the lack of marketing. And then, in second place, and then also, we have the Best Picture winner, um, Everything Everywhere All at Once, benefiting from the Oscar bump, uh, going up 1,000 theaters to 1,600 total last weekend for a 260% week over week increase, up to 1.2 million for the week, pushing it to 75.5 million domestic. Uh, exactly a 
video after its release. Also benefiting from the Oscar bump was the Best Actor winning film The, the Whale, starring Brendan Fraser, going up 400 theaters up to 500 um, and gaining 128% week over week uh, for 145,000, 17.2 million domestic total, 37 million worldwide, um, which against the 3 million production budget, not bad. Um, and then Shyamalan's Knock at the Door ended its run, uh, Knock at the Cabin ended its run at 35.4 million. 34 million total worldwide on a 20 million budget is technically profitable, but not by much. Um, Megan also finished its run, which is much more profitable, $95 million domestically, um, sort of the $100 million I was predicting, but uh, just barely. Oh well. Overall for this weekend, driven by the lackluster Sazam, Fury of the Gods, this weekend came in just under $100 million with $91.3 million all told. Next weekend, the big release is the fourth entry for the John Wick franchise from Lionsgate. Box office post forecasted as a $74 million opening, which will be the franchise best. Like Creed, which will be the case of each sequel in the franchise outdoing the last, which given it's the most expensive at $100 million, I hope is the case for them. Uh, also opening next weekend, relatively wide, is from IFC Films, the British film, uh, um, uh, uh, the Lost King, um, it, it released in Britain last year, uh, starring Sally Hawkins. No current forecast for that. Uh, looking overseas in China, Suzanne and Megan were unable to unseat the two local films who, who led last week, Post-Truth and Revival, who made $18.8 and $6.3 respectively in their second weekends for totals of $51.2 and $22.3 domestically, uh, respectively to date. Suzanne only made $4.3 in third place, down from the film, first film's $29.7 million opening in 2019, and Megan was in fifth place with $1.6 million. Meanwhile, over in Hong Kong, mysteriously, the Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey uh, film was pulled from theaters two days before Tremere. I wonder why. Uh, anyway, outside of that, there are only a couple of other headlines before we wrap up this 150th episode. Uh, Universal dated two films from Jordan Peele's Monkey Paws Productions for 2024. One will be on September 27th. No details about the film itself or who is directing or writing, but the other one notably will be on Christmas Day and will be from Jordan Peele himself, which I think should put it in a, a good spot to hopefully benefit from an awards push in awards season. Uh, Apple is also reportedly going to be spending a billion dollars on theatrical distributions for its films per year, uh, which, you know, whether that's going to be building out its own distribution arm or their, or working with other studios remains to be seen. However, given that it has a lot of Oscar note, uh, hopefuls this year, like Scorsese's Kill of the Flower Moon and Ridley Scott's Napoleon, this will be a major shift from its films, which have mostly been exclusive for Apple TV uh, beyond the limited release to qualify for awards, so that's exciting. And then finally, perhaps the most important news in the movie industry this week, um, uh, Tommy Wiseau is back with a sophomore de directorial debut uh, effort after the cult classic The Room, uh, with a film called Big Sark, featuring, of course, a big Sark. It will have its debut screening next week, April 2nd, in Portland, Oregon, before going on a roadshow across the country. Looking forward to seeing it sweep at the 96th Oscars. Uh, speaking of cinematic masterpieces with killer animals, though, to close out this episode, we're going to be bringing back the return of the What I've Been Watching segment. Since I, hey, now that I'm done with the Oscars, I can actually go and watch uh, stuff. I can go watch that I can talk about on this podcast instead of the other one. So this week, we have Cocaine Bear. Uh, so I saw Cocaine Bear, probably not in the ideal situations, you know, like I mentioned in previous episodes, I've, you know, been in fun employment, so, you know, just to get out of the house in the middle of, I think it was like a, a Wednesday, you know, I, I, I went out like in the middle of the afternoon to go see a Cocaine Bear, I think there was like one other person right here, which I don't think that was the ideal situation to see Cocaine Bear, this is definitely one I think that benefits more from having, you know, a, a bunch of uh, audience members who are just, you know, ready to just laugh at the cocaine, uh, a, a bear with cocaine, um, frankly, I thought it could have used more bears and used more cocaine, 
Kane. I mean, you know, the segments where the bear were there and, and wrecking havoc were great, but, you know, I think they could have even up the, the violence in those, right? I think, you know, if you're going for a campy comedy slasher type film, you need to really up the sticks. You need to go like full hog, like just this back to back, like insanity. Like, sir, maybe give us a little bit of investment between, but I mean, trying, like, there was this whole plot of like, you know, the, um, like th these various subplots going on in there, which, you know, were there, I guess, for some emotional heart, but you know, I don't, you don't, you don't go to these fields from emotional heart. Um, that being said, the CG I will say was good, and you know, the various set pieces were pretty hilarious. Um, when they did come together with the bear, um, overall, I gave this one a two out of five. Probably again, mostly my theatrical going experience being by myself with some one other person who wasn't really laughing in the audience. So, yeah, I think, uh, in a, in a more crowded audience, this probably would have been a three out of five for me. Um, so you know, go see this with friends or you know, or, or, or with other people, don't see this by yourself. And with that, I think that's a wrap for this episode. Two more ideas for that I should watch uh, or cover via email at boxofficewatchpodcast.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, at the very least tell a friend any of that helps. Links to all that will be in our show notes. Numbers used in the show come from dnumbers.com. Intro and outro music comes from Kevin MacLeod and then competent of humans.io. Editing production by Ninsborn Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch. And remember, our watch goes on. Mm -hmm.